everybody. Good morning. Must be spring break. <laughs> Feels like that, doesn't it? I just wish the uh, weather outside were a little bit, yeah, a little more spring break-like. But it's always cold in spring break. Okay, that's good. I am glad you are here. Why? Because you are the hardcore. That's right. <laughs> so glad that you're here. Well, I like that song, by the way. Mm, perfect for time for Easter. I like that one a lot. All right, so I want to start today, I want to talk about kids. Because <clears throat> if, you, if you have kids or if you've been around kids, one of the coolest things is when, when, they're, when they're learning, because everything is new, right? But then somewhere along the line, I'm not sure when it is, they begin to, as uh, I think the developmental psychologists call it, they begin to exert their own independence. And the way that this normally happens for most kids is that they learn a particular word. And that word is no. Yeah, amen, it's right. And it's funny how that word seems to show up at the most inconvenient moments in time, exerting in their independence. And as they grow up, they begin to learn a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's exciting because maybe they're getting to uh, learn how to tie their shoe or they're learning to read or they're learning to dress themselves. And there are moments as they're learning and they're doing things, you can see that they're struggling just a little bit and so you offer to help. Boy, I really like how you picked out your clothes today. And I know that there's purple in both, but honey, polka dots and stripes don't go together. Why don't you let dad help you out? No, I'll do it myself. Right? Exerting their independence. And at that moment in time, stripes and polka dots are perfectly okay. Right? <clears throat> Yeah, it's amazing how they go through that cycle and we know that it's perfectly normal, but sometimes you kind of wonder and, and you know that you have to, to intervene. I remember when Elizabeth was about four or five years old, she uh, was introduced to, I, I think it might have been Tinkerbell, I'm not really sure, but she grabbed a, a towel and she put it around her neck like a cape and stood at the top of the staircase with a little glint in her eye because she wanted to fly. So I had to go up and I had to explain to my daughter certain aspects of physics and what could potentially happen to her if she attempted this little experiment of hers, this learning process. I did not want the learning process to include a trip to the hospital. Amen? Yes. And I'll never forget her response. Because she looked up at me, she stomped her little foot, and she said, I hate gravity. <laughs> and she stormed off. Oh. Thanks. Told her I pay her a dollar every single time that I used her as a sermon illustration. <laughs> hey, it beats paying for a therapist later on in her life. So, 
Anyway, I wonder if God sometimes looks at us the same way that we look at our kids. There are lots of biblical references to the fact that God is Father. And so I wonder if he takes a look at us because sometimes we exert our independence at moments in our lives where it might be misplaced or misguided or, or maybe not beneficial or even potentially harmful to us. And I, I really wonder that. I understand the, the developmental process of needing to be independent, but there is this moment where I just kind of wonder if God just shakes his head and, and says, I know you want to do it yourself, but that's probably not wise. We're in this season called Lent, and um, traditionally, we give things up for Lent. We give up things like television and social media and various foods and, and things that, you know, generally speaking, we enjoy. And, and what we've tried to do this Lenten season is to kind of take a slightly different twist on this and to say, what would happen if we didn't give up things that we enjoy, but really gave up things that were not beneficial to us? What if we gave up the things that cause us to suffer instead? What if we, we took a good hard look at ourselves and our lives and some of these, these components that we know really don't move us forward at all? So last week we talked about discontentment. How's it going for you? It's funny how that thing kind of rears its head in some strange moments. And, and this week, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if we gave up our independence. What would that be like? What would it be like if we gave up that insistence on our own way? If we, if we gave up that, that notion that I'm going to do it myself. And, and what, what would that look like? Well, here's the good news. is I, I think that there's a picture of this in the Bible that there's a, a way that we can not necessarily know, but we can kind of get, get an idea of what it might be like to give up our independence. And it comes from this, this Hebrew word, this Hebrew idea, and it looks like this. It's called shalom. There it is in Hebrew. By the way, you read right to left in Hebrew. Shalom, if you see it. Generally speaking, we translate this word as peace, right? Have you seen this? You may have seen this before. In fact, if you went to Israel today, you would be greeted with this idea of shalom. They would say shalom to you. And, and while we, we translate it as peace, we have to be very careful because for, for a lot of us, um, this idea of peace tends to, to translate as inner tranquility. That I just I feel peace in my heart. That's a, that's a good Christian phrase, Right? And I feel, I feel this certain sense of peace. The interesting thing is, is that the Jewish idea of shalom has, has very little to do with inner peace. It includes that, but for, for, Jew, for, for the, the Jewish mind, it's highly relational. That there's peace between people. There's peace between us and God. There's peace between nations. There's peace between individuals. And, and there's peace between us and creation itself. And there's there's peace, yes, with ourselves. So it includes all of that, but it's this idea of shalom. And so what I thought we would do is we would go to the, the text and learn just a little bit about this word shalom. 
Shalom. So let me take it first to Leviticus chapter 26. Now, Leviticus is basically an instruction manual for priests. It's the reason why we don't spend a whole lot of time in Leviticus. If you've ever read Leviticus, it's a great cure for insomnia. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. But in Leviticus, there's some very interesting pieces, and I want you to see this. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, this is God speaking, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant shalom in the land. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. This is one of the first references uh, of explicit idea that following God's commands, doing things God's way will grant you shalom. And notice some of the, the features in this text. First of all, there's, there'd be enough to eat. Now remember that this is a population of people who had been enslaved for some few hundred years. How important do you think it is to a slave population that there's going to be enough to eat? Pretty important. And this is one of the, the things that, that, that God packages together in this idea of shalom. I will grant peace in the land, shalom in the land. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. Boy, that has something to do with external powers that are coming in, but also internally what's happening. There's no strife inside the land, inside the borders. Does this make sense? It's actually this beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, one of the prophets speaking to Israel con continues the same idea. Here it is in, in the book of Zechariah. God says, there will be peace, shalom. Notice this. For the seed, the vine will yield its fruit and the land will yield its produce and the heavens will give their due and I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all of these things. Now remember, he's talking to a group of people in captivity again. And he's telling them about a future and one of the things that, that God shows here is that there would be shalom, interesting enough, for the seed. Isn't that interesting? There's this idea that, that there's peace not only among people, but there's peace between human beings and, and creation too, the seed, meaning the plant. The vine will yield its fruit, which is very similar to what we saw in Leviticus, right? So there is this notion that shalom is not just inner tranquility, it's not just peace between individuals, but there's also something about plenty, about providing for, for needs. That's shalom. Even the, even the poet encourages us to seek shalom. Listen to this. In the book of Psalm, Psalm 34 to be exact, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek shalom, and pursue it. Interestingly enough, that in Hebrew, the word here, seek, um, is a general word of just look for, to search for something that may have been lost. 
But the second word, pursue it, is much stronger. It's a military term. You would pursue your enemy to capture it. It's a very strong word. So don't just look for it. Pursue it. Capture it. Find it. Practice it. Does it make sense? It's a very strong uh, poetic use of the word shalom. And so we've seen this in the, in the priest. We've seen this with the prophet. We've seen this now with the poet. And what's interesting is I barely scratched the surface. There are some 300 references to shalom in the entire Bible. And did I look at each one of them? I think I did. I'm not sure, but I think I did. <laughs> one of the ancient rabbis made this interesting remark. <clears throat> he said, he said, we spend all of this energy, we spill all of this ink to try to learn and understand ideas that we don't even find in the text. Why don't we just start with shalom? Because it's all over the place. It's an interesting observation, and we do. We spend an awful lot of time thinking about different things, and, and, and there's benefit to that. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's kind of a academically-minded individual, I think there's a lot of value in that. But I do think that why don't we go to the text and find something that's pretty important, like peace, like shalom, and let's study that, try to understand it. Oh, and maybe even practice it. That might be a good idea, right? I want you to listen to, um, to a very familiar Christmas passage. This is in Isaiah chapter 9. I think we talked about this last Christmas. For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Of the greatness of his government and Shalom, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now remember, this is Isaiah talking to a group of people who are under threat from a foreign invasion. And he says to them, there will be a prince of Shalom. Now, if your country, if your city is uh, potentially going to be besieged, how important is peace to you? <laughs> Pretty important. And of the greatness of his, of his government and the greatness of his peace, of his shalom, there will be no end. And of course, we take this verse and we apply it to Jesus. Jesus being the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. It's interesting to me that when Jesus finished his time with his disciples, he made this comment in John chapter 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Now, okay, we take this group of scriptures in John, verse 13 to about 15 or 16. And it's the last words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he tells them in 14, I, I, I leave you with peace. But I find it very interesting that just prior to this, just a few paragraphs before, Jesus makes this comment. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you want to know how to practice peace? Love. 
love one another. And the point is, is that when we love one another, we're acting like Jesus and his peace can be there among us. Does that make sense? It's not magical. It's something that, that occurs that, that God wants for each one of us. Even Paul, the scholar of scholars, makes this beautiful statement. Next slide. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So let me get this straight. If I'm I'm pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, I'm not only going to please God, but I'm also going to win approval. Hey, that's what we call a win-win. It's a great idea. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to, what's the word? Peace and mutual edification. This idea of shalom goes all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we even see it as being a characteristic of the kingdom of God, this thing that we're we're pursuing. Now, we just sped through a big portion of the Bible. And like I said, we scratched the surface of it. And so I'm not trying to overwhelm here, but... What I'm trying to show is how pervasive this is, that we can have peace with God, that we can have peace with others, peace with creation, and yes, peace with inside of ourselves. Now, I have to be very careful here, and I want to um, kind of drop in a little caution, a couple of cautions, actually. This idea about giving independence up is really about community, about living life with with other people. (laughs) The thing that I want to make sure that, that we understand, though, is that when, we, when we, we can't live life by ourselves, I would argue that that's impossible to do. You, you need other people. From, from the simple standpoint is we're all wired to do things differently, right? We need that kind of community with one another. We're not meant to live this life alone. But at the same time, Just because we give up independence does not mean that we give up personal responsibility. Those are two different things. And I think we need to talk about that. Peace, shalom, happens in relationship. So if you want to experience shalom, you actually have to be in relationship with with something else. But as as Jewish thought goes, shalom only happens uh, when everyone is living up to their personal responsibility. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I was watching a couple of our guys move some of the heavy equipment that we have on Sunday morning. And you can have two guys, and if they're going to lift the heavy equipment, um, they each actually have to lift. You've got to lift one part and the other part. You know, I might be good for about 25 pounds. Pastor Dan's good for about 95 pounds. But I still have to lift my 25, and he has to lift his 95, and we actually want to move it, right? And if things happen where it starts getting a little off-center or a little, you know, a little wobbly, a little unstable, and then someone else comes up and adds their strength to it, we are all living up to our responsibility for lifting that heavy item. Does this make sense? That's shalom. We're all doing our part in the relationship, and when somebody can't lift that by themselves, someone else comes in to lend support to it. Are you with me? This is a great picture of what shalom really is. And so we can't necessarily 
um, give up our personal responsibility even though we're giving up our independence <clears throat> or our insistence. So sometimes when we talk about shalom, we don't talk about it as peace. Maybe a better way of understanding is, is equilibrium or balance. And when all the parts are doing their responsibilities, we have balance, we have equilibrium within the system. And the implications for this are truly enormous. People living up to their responsibility in the relationships, and for Christians that means loving one another. Does that make sense? Loving one another. Some of you are looking like, man, I've never heard this before. Oh, good, I'm glad. It's an interesting thing to think about. The other thing that I want to mention here is, is that when we give up our independence, I'm, I'm not talking about giving up, say, something like our introversion. Because I understand that some people are extroverts and some people are introverts. And um, what, what happens is, is that we think to live in relationship, I have to give up my introversion. That's not true. Introversion um, has less to do with people and more to do with energy. Well, let me see if I can describe that. <clears throat> you can be an introvert or an extrovert and not like other people. Sometimes we think that introverts just don't like other people. It's not true. That's not, that's not the case at all. Introversion and extroversion has to do with where you get your energy. There are some people, they get their batteries recharged when they're alone. There are other people who get their batteries charged when they're around others because we feed off their energy. Guess which one I am, right? I like being around people because I feel energized by that. But there are some people that are like, oh, man, I just need to, maybe I need some music, maybe I just need one or two other people around me, but I don't necessarily need a lot of people. In fact, I find a lot of people draining. It's energy. It has nothing to do with whether or not you like people. We have a friend of ours who uh, we were at a conference a few years ago, and he is very much an introvert, and yet he worked the room like most politicians can't. I mean, he was just amazing going from person to person to person. And his wife told us, oh, yeah, he'll go cocoon now for three days. Because he just expended all of that energy. He needs to go and find a way to get that energy energy back. And so what we find is introversion and extroversion is really on a spectrum. Even though I'm an extrovert, I need to be healthy some time where I'm just with my family or I'm just by myself. Not necessarily to recharge, but just to maintain some balance in my life. So when I talk about giving up our independence and living in relationship, I'm not telling you that you have to give up your introversion because you're wired that way. That's okay. But it is about your energy management. It's not whether or not you like people. In fact, if the issue is you don't like people, my guess is it really has to do with past pain and not your introversion or your extroversion. It has nothing to do with your personality. It has everything to do with your past experience. Ooh, I just opened up a can there, didn't I? Yeah. But that's, that's just kind of how the, this goes. And so when we talk about independence and giving up our independence and living in community and living in relationship, the real issue here is, is not your, your energy, but rather what you're willing to actually give up. And so here's my, here's my challenge for you this week, or, or maybe, maybe it's my challenge for you, you know, during the entire Lenten season. But it's to go back to what the poet said, is for you to seek shalom and pursue it, to look for it and then try to go and capture that idea to give up your independence through some very simple acts. Because one of the reasons why we come to church isn't to, to necessarily get 
you know, just new ideas, but actually ways that we can practice them. We call it application, right? So a couple of things for, for you to practice this idea of, of shalom or giving up your independence through some simple acts. Let me just toss out a couple of them. If they don't fit you, that's fine. Maybe you can think up some others. That would be great. The first one that I, came to my mind is, you know, instead of buying something, how about you see if you can borrow it from one of your neighbors? <gasps> because that would make me vulnerable. Ah, yes, guess what? That's shalom. You're dependent on someone else. So instead of going and buying a piece of equipment, guys, I know this is hard for you. Because you know what? I don't care if you're an introvert or extrovert. I get energy when I go to the tool section at Lowe's. Oh, look at that type of frog. <laughs> right? But what would happen if you went to your next door neighbor who may have, have that tool? What if you just asked him, hey, say, I'm looking for this particular item. Do you have one that I might be able to borrow? That's giving up your independence in a very real sense. By the way, I know some guys in this church that probably have every tool known to man. And I'm sure they would be delighted at sharing that with you. So I know that because I borrowed it from them <laughs> sometimes. So instead of buying something, I borrow it. Um, the other thing that keeps coming to my mind, and, and this, is a, this is a practice that Lisa and I are trying to, to, to get better at, is to make room for other people. Um, when I was growing up, my family, uh, because my mom had a health condition, we didn't have a whole lot of people over to the house, but Lisa's parents constantly had a group of friends come over. They were playing bridge and a bunch of other games, and so I would love to go down to her house to watch her parents interact with their friends, family, and neighbors, because I, I, hadn't, I hadn't experienced anything like that before. And what they did is they made room for other people, and it was, it was wonderful to actually see that modeled in, in front of me. And, and so we, we often have to say, okay, life is a little bit busy right now. We need to hit the pause button because we're very inward-focused. We're thinking about ourselves way too much. We need to open up ourselves to other people. Why? Because it's shalom. That's the kind of peace that we're talking about. Is it, is it difficult? Yeah, sometimes it is. But the benefit that we receive in living in relationship with other people far outweighs any of that. And so here's, here's a couple ways you can do it. <clears throat> and, you know, first thing you do is just invite another family to do something with you. If you're going to the zoo, call someone. You want to come with us? Um, some of you have heard me talk about, um, we have a friend, we call her Redneck Trina, and she's from eastern Kentucky, and she has a thick accent, and she speaks very, very quickly. And sometimes you have to pay very close attention to what she says because you might miss some stuff, just kind of the way, way she talks. I dearly, dearly love this young lady. Um, but she lived two doors down from us. <clears throat> and uh, very often we would get telephone calls at like 9 o'clock at night, and, and she would say to, to Lisa, I need to go to the Walmart. Not Walmart, the Walmart. Because there was only one in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Okay, the Walmart. I need to go to the Walmart. Do you want to come with me? And those two women forged a relationship over a period of time just going to Walmart. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. To this day, when we... When we go and, and, and uh, see them, which is on occasion, it's like picking up right where we left off. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, 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 I blame Walmart for a lot of stuff, okay? <laughs> but I have to admit that just inviting somebody to go to the grocery store for a quick trip to it 
was very telling and very shaping, very forming for that relationship. And because of that, we had shalom with them. We had true peace. Had no problem, um, you know, with us, you know, watching their kids, their them watching our kids, and and we, we, had, we had no problem doing that because we had developed that relationship over time. Uh, here's another thing you do: is ask someone to join you for dinner, whether you're going out or whether you're staying in. Make a little bit more. Invite somebody over. Um, that that same little condominium complex that we lived in, um, we had two, three, four, five neighbors. And it was not uncommon in the summertime to say, hey, we're going to cook out something on the grill. You want to come over? And they just would, and we would all congregate. My dad used to call this neighboring. Well, we don't seem to be doing neighboring anymore quite like that. But make room for other people and just invite them. And if they say no, that's okay. Ask them again, and maybe eventually you'll wear them down, I guess. I don't know. But ask somebody to join you for dinner. Look, I love this idea of serving by giving. I really do. I love the fact that as a church, we look at worship, grow, and serve, and we want to serve other people. I love this idea. But, but let me just say that shalom happens not when I just give something away, but when I invite somebody into my life. Does that make sense? That's shalom. That's peace. That's the balance and the equilibrium. And, and if they you know, invite you back, that's great. If not, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you're making room for peace to come and be a part of your life, that equilibrium and that balance. And so as we kind of go through this, this, um, this Lenten season, you know, I just encourage you to kind of hit the pause button for a second and say, how do I give up this independence? Maybe you can think of a better way of, of actually trying this. And, you know, I just, Try to give you a couple, get your brain thinking. But here's what I want you to do. Make room for others. Make room for a relationship. See what happens. Double dog dare you. I really want you to see what happens if you, you know, create room for other people to join you in your life some way. Because that's when God shows up. You never know where that conversation is going to go. You never know when when something's going to happen in such a way that <clears throat> causes God to be able to move in the way that only he can move. And here's the other piece of it. It just occurred to me, how many times do I miss God moving in someone else's life because I haven't connected with them? Does that make sense? What a tragic loss the reason why God moves is not just for the blessing of one person, but for the people around them too, right? It's that ripple effect. And, and those are the, the moments that really matter to us when we're going through something. Oh, wait, if God can move in their life, maybe God can move in mine too. That's called hope. And I like that idea an awful lot. Very encouraging. And so I want you to do that. I want you to Give it a shot. Watch what happens and see if, well, see if your life is a little more blessed because of it. So we're giving up discontentment and now we're going to try to give up some, some independence or at least our insistence on independence.